Welcome everybody to the podcast today for May 23rd, 2016. The X-Men train is rolling on with X-Men First Class. Fox weren't best pleased with the critical reception to the likes of The Last Stand and X-Men Origins Wolverine. And really reading about how they bounce from film to film and idea to idea and script to script and writer and director to writer and director. They really didn't seem like they had a firm grasp of what they were doing with the X-Men series. Brian Singer was not involved in The Last Stand or X-Men Origins and there were a number of ideas. The main idea being kicked about was a Magneto origin story that was to feature a young Magneto as well as Ian McKellen kind of framing the film. And that film was seemed to be in development for ages before it finally died a death. Elements of that were worked into another idea that was being kicked about, which was a broader origin story of the X-Men, set in days before the X-Men. But there is different versions of that, one of which was more kind of teeny and John Hughes inspired. Some of that, again, was worked into what eventually became X-Men First Class. So X-Men First Class seemed to be a combination, a confluence of ideas that were being bandied about at Fox for their X-Men series. Because they wanted to obviously keep X-Men. X-Men is a, a valuable franchise. The films have only steadily made more and more money as the series has gone by. And I think Deadpool broke that record this year. So we'll see how Apocalypse does. So of course Fox wanted to keep the X-Men but they didn't really know what they wanted to do with the X-Men. Thankfully, they stumbled upon a very good director in Matthew Vaughn, because Brian Singer was supposed to return to direct X-Men First Class. He does produce the film. I think he had a role in the story. But he was supposed to return to direct, but he was committed to Jack the Giant Slayer, which I lied on a recent podcast when I said I had never seen a Brian Singer film, non-superhero film, and I have seen Jack the Giant Slayer, and I enjoyed it. So yeah, sorry about that. I lied on podcast today and I'm sure I've broken my trust with the audience. It wasn't a lie, actually. It was his... I didn't actually know Brian Singer directed that film, so I suppose that's not really lying, is it? If you think it's lying, well, you, you that, that's okay then. Brian Singer was supposed to direct this, but he dropped out for Jack the Giant Slayer. And Matthew Vaughn jumped on board, who had directed Kick-Ass and would go on to direct a tremendous Kingsman, which is, if you've never seen Kingsman, really, really good film. A really good spoof of Bond films and spy films and all that kind of genre. Ramb- wrapping it up in a package, wrapping it up in a package of violence and cursing and other stuff. It's a really good film. So X Men First Class served as the X Men origin story. Well, not really the X Men origin story because I think Apocalypse serves as the more traditional X Men origin story. This is more Magneto and Professor X's origin stories. Magneto is a survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp, and he metals some gates. You know what he does with his metal powers? He moves some gates, and they're like, "Hey, you're a mutant." You want to do some mutant stuff for us? And that's the core of the film. The character that wants him to do some mutant stuff is Sebastian Shaw, played by Kevin Bacon. Pretty good villain. Kind of not really important too much, at least in the grand scheme of things. His main role, aside from just to be a bad guy in the film, is to set up parallels between him and Magneto. Because Magneto is the definition of the economic principle of homo economicus. The idea that we are all self-interested and self-motivated and will only do whatever suits us at the time. Magneto does that all the time. I wonder if I could get that published. <laughs> Writing about how a comic book character is the definition of an economic principle. I doubt it. He is. He's, he's always out to do what's best for himself. In this particular film, he is out to get revenge. Because Kevin Bacon's character, Sebastian Shaw, killed his mother and he wants to get revenge for that. Which is relatively understandable. He even admits at the end of the film that on an ideological level, he agrees with what Sebastian Shaw was doing. And they set up those parallels that, that there's very similar characters down the line. But, you know, killed his mom. He's going to get revenge. 
whole new cast because it's obviously an origin story. You can't have Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart playing people in their 20s. That would be stretching things just a little bit. James McAvoy stepped in to play Professor X, Michael Fassbender to play Magneto. And honestly, those two are just as good pieces of casting as McKellen and Stewart were. They have tremendous chemistry together. They embody the role. I like that McAvoy's young Professor X is less the kind of wise, sage, guy in a wheelchair, bald guy who's like, I'm the wise leader. He's more of kind of a bit of a playboy, a bit of charm and, and rapscallionness to him. Rapscallionness is obviously a word. Whereas Fastbender's Magneto is a little more closer to McKellen's Magneto, just not quite as bitter yet. That is, that, that is actually an interesting thing to keep an eye on with the, in particular, next X-Men film, because in the original trilogy, Magneto and Professor X were further apart than they ever were. And I'm interested to see what will actually drive them apart in the next film. The film is set in the 60s, and it is, I mentioned this in the Apocalypse review, it is very much a film of the 60s. It retcons the Cuban Missile Crisis to basically say mutants did it. I love the way that that, that is a thing in the X-Men universe, at least the film universe, I, don't, I haven't read the comics, that they retcon JFK's death in Days of Future Past, that they retcon the Cuban Missile Crisis, that they retcon freaking the building of the pyramids was done by Apocalypse, where they take real historical events and use them as framing devices for kind of mutant plots, which is a, a cool idea. It's, it's an interesting way to tell a story that this is an alternate reality. This is what happened, but mutants. We establish why Magneto believes that he needs to rely on anger and pain, because that's basically what he's told to do. And it's in his head, that's what he associates his powers with. He associates his powers with like the death of his mother and him being forced to use them and him being triggered to use them via the death of his mother. He, those, those two things are directly interlinked. So that's the reason he associates his power with anger and, and violence as opposed to kindness and hope. And again, that goes to the core of the character and carries through the rest of the series. Jennifer Lawrence, who wasn't a huge star. This film was released in 2011. This was right before like the Hunger Games took off and Jennifer Lawrence became this huge Hollywood star. She played Mystique who was a good friend of Charles Xavier, a childhood friend of Professor X, slowly co-opted and stolen by Magneto to become his sidekick, where she's, she kind of believes more in what Magneto stood for as opposed to what Professor X stood for. There's also a beast and mystique, you know, love story. They, they want to get it on. And there was a moment where they're about to kiss, and then Magneto basically cock-blocked poor Beast. And we also find out why Beast is blue, that he was trying to cure himself using... Beast only had monkey feet at first, and he was trying to cure himself using Mystique's genes, and that just turned him blue. So shortly in Days of Future Past, when Trask is trying to get Mystique's genes for the Sentinels, Beast should be like, careful, you might turn yourself blue. That's a thing. It's a thing you can do with Mystique. Some nice little nods, because obviously James McAvoy doesn't shave his head for this film. We don't get bald Professor X from other two films. There's some nice little nods. When he's putting Cerebro on for the first time, Beast asks him, oh, well, you know, can, can we shave your head? He's like, don't touch my hair. And even at the end of the film, he has a nice little bald quip. This film also has a Wolverine cameo. Hugh Jackman is the only person who has been in every single X-Men film in some capacity. And his cameo in this is brilliant. There's a scene where they're recruiting a bunch of mutants and it's a fun little scene where they're, they're romping around and going, hey, I'm Magneto and I'm Professor X and they're doing kind of a buddy thing. And then they come up to my Wolverine and Wolverine tells them in a fairly, fairly certain words that he has very little interest in their little mutant endeavor, though he's a little less eloquent <laughs> than, than that. 
<laughs> it was a tremendous cameo. Magneto obviously foreshadows all that comes in the future of the X-Men series where he, he warns Charles Xavier that they will only want to experiment on them and they will fear them and they will round them up. And that is obviously th the main theme of the X-Men series, the dispute between humans and mutants and how they can coexist and whether or not they can actually coexist. Even the first 10 minutes of this film, in a voiceover established that any time there has been a major mutation in, in humanity, the group that did not mutate was left behind and died off. And is that what's going to happen again as we see mutants mutating? They actually tie it directly to radiation in this film, that the increased radiation from the nuclear age is what causes the acceleration in mutants, which is a nice little thing that they do establish that mutants existed beforehand, but there is a direct cause. And that's part of the entire plot that Sebastian Shaw wanted to create a another nuclear war in order to get people to kill each other and bomb each other and then more mutants. He had a very similar belief system to Magneto that mutants are the dominant race and should be the dominant race for the future. And Shaw and Magneto were very similar characters. In fact, Magneto even gets his little helmet from Shaw. Though I do, it's a good thing their heads are a similar size because it fits uh, Magneto's head pretty snugly after he takes it off Shaw. So, you know, that's lucky. If it didn't fit, he would have been in deep trouble in that last scene because Professor X could have frozen him instead of allowing him to, to give in to his anger and, and seek retribution because Magneto always in the end gives into anger and seeks retribution. That's his modus operandi. And well, it might seem kind of cliche to have a training montage in a film. This film is an origin story for like a, an original X-Men team before Cyclops, it has Cyclops' brother, before Cyclops, Storm, Jean Grey, Wolverine, the Wolverine that plays a very small role. Beast and Professor X are the only linking factors between the more traditional X-Men team that you see in the original films and that you would have seen in like the cartoon and the, the team that is seen in this film. Like characters like Darwin and Banshee and Riptide and all of these people don't actually really play a role in any of the other X-Men films. They kind of disappear and some of them are established to be dead. Only Alex Summers really comes back besides like Fassbender, McAvoy and Lawrence. They're obviously in all of these films. This, it's a really smart film first class it kind of use it uses the time period it's set in really effectively it feels like a bond film and apparently that was by design they wanted it to feel like those 60s bond films those were the inspiration for the style and the overall look of the film and it's just it's a smart superhero film it doesn't go just smashing things for the sake of it it introduces these characters in a way that feels really good the series as a whole just has done a really good job of casting these characters so that you know if you have really good actors it makes that heavy lifting just a little easier if you have bad actors delivering similar material it might not work quite as well so it really does work as an origin story it works as introducing these characters with a bit of charm and a bit of wit and a bit of bounce and youthfulness that's, that runs through the whole film even as Professor X and Magneto become kind of senior figures guiding a team. They, they're still inexperienced there. These people are still learning and developing. These They're, they're shoved from obscurity into life-threatening scenarios and they really do a good job at keeping the film interesting, keeping the film fun, and keeping the characters central. X-Men First Class. Really, really, really good film. It saved, it, I'm not going to say it saved the X-Men franchise because the X-Men franchise probably wasn't going away and even if it did, it would revert back to Disney owning it. And they'd make X-Men films because there's not a hope they wouldn't make X-Men films. But it really did help turn the franchise around. The franchise is going in a shaky direction and then this film helped turn it around. That's X-Men First Class. Tomorrow will be Wolverine. Or sorry, THE Wolverine. Because that's the name of the film. There are only two more films to go after this. Wolverine and Days of Future Past in my X-Men retrospective. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.